Amen. Amen. We're going to have a seat, and you can get your Bibles out. Start turning to uh, Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to be this morning. Uh, really, we have two weeks here uh, in between the What Does the Bible Say series and when we get to 1 Samuel uh, at the end of the month. And so Pastor Brian talked about next week talking about discipleship, but this week uh, talking about really a, a critical element, a critical item uh, in our walk as believers around this idea or this concept of prayer. And uh, as, as we begin this morning, here's where I want to start. I want to start just by asking this question. Uh, when you think of prayer, what is it that comes to your mind and what goes on in your heart? And as you think about that, as you consider that, as you reflect on that, uh, maybe think or consider uh, on this. Because many people, right, many uh, believers, when, when you start talking about prayer, uh, what they think of is there's this sense of guilt, uh, that I don't do it enough, or I'm not good at it, or I, I wish I thought about it more. Maybe there's this sense of obligation of, I don't necessarily want to do it, but I know that I should do it. Uh, it might be that you think of a list, and I've got to get through this, and I've got to accomplish this, and, and if I pray all these things, then somehow I'm favorable to God. Or maybe you think that's what someone else does. That's what spiritual people do. That's what really godly Christians do. They pray, uh, but that's not for me, or that's not my uh, my, my, my sense, most people, uh, quite devastatingly, I might add, when they think of prayer, they don't think of something that's pleasing. They don't think of something that's a privilege. They don't think of something that is a delight, both to God and to themselves. And yet, true prayer is just that, loved ones. It's pleasing. And what if, right, what if you and I as believers could think about prayer no longer as an obligation, but we could think about it as an opportunity. What if we no longer thought about prayer as this chore that we had to do, but a choice that we excitedly made because we got to be with the Lord? What if we no longer viewed prayer as this cold, dry exercise, but this life-giving worship encounter between us and the Lord? Because that loved one is what is afforded to us constantly in Christ and yet rarely experienced by believers in the American church today. And so as we come to Matthew chapter 6, here's what we're going to see God's Word revealing to us. It's this, that prayer is our pursuit of communing with God in worship to Him and petition of Him. Let me say that again. Prayer is our pursuit of communing with God and worship to Him and petition of Him. And so I'm going to read from verses 5 through 13 of Matthew 6. I'd be encouraging you to follow along. Loved ones, this is God's Word to you and I here today. It says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And Jesus is saying, here's the model, here's the template, Here, here's the, 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 the framework by which to approach the Lord in prayer. And the Lord's prayer, which is this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from evil. Loved ones, this is the word of the Lord for us. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to have his way amongst us. Gracious and good Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the privilege to come and to gather together uh, to worship you in song, to worship you by sitting under the Word, in fellowship, in service, in giving, uh, in, in prayer, all these different ways that we get to come and worship. But God, I thank you for the distinct element that's in front of us this morning uh, and, and the distinct way that we worship you in and through prayer. And so God, I pray this morning you would teach us. God, we pray you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. God, that you'd give us greater understanding of prayer, that you'd help us to see uh, really the rich uh, and robust uh, opportunity and joy and privilege that is ours in and through prayer. And then, God, I pray, God, I pray uh, that you would be helping us, enabling us, guiding us to grow as men and women in prayer. And God, as always, we want to pray for another church in the area. And this morning, we're praying for Desert Springs and for Ryan Kelly. And we thank you for that body of believers. God, we pray that you would make them a praying church in the same way that we endeavor and long to be a praying church. And so, Holy Spirit, come have your way. Come, Come do the work that only you can do in and amongst your people now. We pray this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Title of the message this morning is Pleasing Prayer. Pleasing Prayer. And really, we want to see what it is that God's Word is telling us about this prayer that Jesus is offering that is pleasing to God and certainly has the potential and the opportunity for it to be pleasing and enjoyable and delightful for us as well. But where Jesus begins in verses 5 through 8, he's actually in verses 1 through 18, he's addressing a handful of different spiritual items, both giving and praying and fasting in verses 1 through 18. But we're going to just focus on 5 through 13, where he's talking about prayer. And in doing so, in each of these instances, he's addressing some of the empty, some of the shallow, some of the dysfunctional ways and, and forms of, of these different items and how they get practiced. And so here in verses 5 through 8, we see that pleasing prayer is going to expose shallow and empty prayer. That's what Jesus is doing in these first few verses. And so notice where he begins, verse 5. He says this, when you pray... Jump down to verse 6, but when you pray, verse 7, and when you pray. See, one of the things that Jesus makes very clear is that for the followers of God, there is an expectation that you and I are people of prayer, right? It's, It's not optional. He's not saying if you feel like it, if you get around to it, if you think that you're good at it or you choose to prioritize it, then this is true. He's like, no, no, this right here is an imperative necessity. It's it's not that you're more spiritual if you do this. This is foundational to being a Christian. And this expectation to pray, it's not rooted in God needing something from us. My loved ones, don't flatter yourself, right? God's not in heaven going, oh, I really hope they'll spend some time with me. He needs nothing. God needs nothing from us. We need everything from Him. And so this expectation is really pointing us back to our dependency and all that we need in Christ and reminding us of that. There's this expectation of prayer. And loved ones, don't don't miss this. You and I will never grow out of this. If anything, we will grow deeper in this. No one gets to a point where I don't need to pray anymore. You just get to a point where you realize that you actually need more and more prayer. Arguably, the most shallow, most empty form of prayer is prayerlessness. 
So listen, if, if, you're, if you're shirking prayer, prayer isn't something that is a regular rhythm and routine in your life, you are, by definition, a prayerless individual. Now here's what you have to understand, what you're actually saying in your prayerlessness. You are declaring yourself as being independent from God. You are declaring yourself of being autonomous from God. And you are declaring that in yourself you are sufficient and do not need God. Now you might say, well, Mike, I've never said those words. Well, the old adage, actions speak louder than words, rings true here. Right, the prayerless individual, while you might not articulate those words, you are saying, I'm independent, I'm autonomous, I can do this all on my own. Prayer is not that you and I accomplish some ritual duty. It's not so we can check something off. It's not something so that God can feel better about himself. Prayer is the means that we align ourselves to the Lord, that we are sustained in the Lord, that we are preserved in the Lord, that we are kept in the Lord. Because if left to ourselves, we would be lost. We have to say around here that prayer is the evidence that I believe the gospel. Prayer proves that I realize that I'm needy. Prayer proves that I realize I can't rescue and save myself. Prayer proves that I know that I need God because I cannot do whatever it is that I'm asking or petitioning or bringing to the Lord. And so there is an expectation of prayer. God help us that we would not be prayerless people. Secondly, look at verse 5 and 6. Notice two specific dysfunctions here in these next four verses that Jesus highlights, really getting at the motivation of some of these items. First of all, this, that we're to pray, uh, to praise God, not to be praised by others. So Jesus says this, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Jesus is saying, listen, these people, they want you to notice their spirituality. That's not what I'm interested in. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you, right? And so Jesus is saying these hypocrites are praying to be praised. They're praying to be noticed. They're, They're not praying to worship the Lord. They're not praying to make much of Him. They're praying so that you would notice how spiritual and eloquent they are. You ever seen this in someone else? Maybe been guilty of this yourself. You get in a group of people and, and, and right, someone starts to pray and it's like, they're definitely not talking to God. They are more interested in impressing the people around them, which is why Jesus rightly refers to these individuals as hypocrites. Right? They're pretending, they're acting, they're fake because prayer that focuses on self is always hypocritical. And so, so, so the antidote to this, as Jesus says in verse 6, is to go into your room. Now, now, don't read that as some kind of statement against corporate prayer. Because in the entirety of the Lord's Prayer from verses 9 through 13, you might want to make note of this, every single pronoun with respect to you and I is all plural. Jesus assumes we're praying together. So when he says go into your room, that, 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 that's not that I, I only pray in private. Uh, in fact, there, there's even some, uh, the, the, some ways that you could argue that this was actually a meeting space. It was a really special space to be invited into and even pray uh, together. Okay, but what Jesus is getting at here is it's not about being seen. It's not about being noticed. It's getting the focus off yourself and the focus on Christ. That's what he's driving at here in verse 5 and 6. Our concern is him and in praising him. We don't pray to be seen. We don't pray to be praised. We pray in order to praise him. Secondly, look at verse 7 and 8, or I guess third. 
7 and 8, that we pray to know God, not to be heard. This second example that Jesus gives, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. And these empty phrases, this was actually a pagan practice uh, that, that, that they believed if I could say enough words, if I could say it enough times or repeat it enough times or say it in just the right way, that I could actually manipulate the gods into doing what I wanted them to do. And so, so there was this pagan practice, and Jesus saying, listen, it's not about the volume of words. It's not about how you articulate the words. It's not about you being heard to get what you want. But look at verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus is saying, listen, prayer isn't about getting what we want. It's about being known, getting to know, and to be known by the Father. That's the beauty and the privilege of what's going on here, that the Father knows us, and we know the Father. And so Jesus is pushing against some of these dysfunctions, the empty, shallow ways that we approach Him in prayer, and giving us some of these items And while it'd be easy to move on, I want to just take a moment because I think there's some other ways that we are dysfunctional uh, in our approach to prayer. We're empty. We're shallow. I want to highlight just a few other of these uh, items or dysfunctional items for us here real quick and just let the Lord use them to speak into our life wherever needed or necessary. So a few other examples of dysfunctional prayer, empty, shallow prayer. I've got five. We'll just do these real quick. First of all, dysfunctional prayer is I only pray in a pinch. I only pray in a pinch. I only pray when it's hard. I only pray when there's trouble, right? It's not that I'm prayerless. I just only pray when I need something. Now, here's the disconnect in this. You and I always need uh, the, the, the redeeming and merciful work of Christ to be at play in our lives, right? So, so for this person who's praying in a pinch, right, it's, it's our perception of what I need. And of course, we actually aren't even seeing things clearly uh, because what we need is we need Jesus at all times. I only pray in a pinch. Secondly, another example of dysfunctional prayer is I pray to put God in my debt. This is the person who sees prayer, uh, kind of like the pagans, as a way of manipulating God or to get what I want Right, This notion of, hey, I'm going to do this ritual. I'm going to do this duty. I'm going to do this obligation that you tell me to do. And then, God, you got to do your part. I did my thing. Now you have to do your thing. I did the prayer thing. So now you got to work or you got to act or you got to give or you got to provide or whatever it is that I'm looking for. See, this person, they have no interest in communing with God, only in exploiting God to get what they want. Loved ones, you don't ever put God into our debt. God is never indebted to us. That is dysfunctional prayer. Number three, I pray to get God on my side. This is the attitude or the posture that says, hey, I'm just praying so that the Lord will agree with me on whatever I've already decided. Right? That I go to the Lord and I'm just saying, hey, here's what I'm doing. I would like you to agree or come with me in this. I mean, who do we think we are? Hey, God, I just want to give you a little bit of clarity and understanding on what's going on here, right? I mean, that's preposterous. And yet, if we're honest, we do this, right? We, we do this stuff. I pray to put God on my side. Number four, I pray to prove my spirituality. Right, this is one of the things Jesus was just addressing here in these verses, 
right? Not to be praised by others, but we pray in order to praise God. I'm not praying to prove to you how spiritual I am. I'm praying because I love Jesus and I love the, the opportunity to worship him. Now, let me just linger on this here for a moment because I think this right here is why so many of us struggle to pray with other Christians. Because if the truth were known, I don't want to be outed that I'm just not very good at this. And so I just avoid praying with other Christians. I don't want you to know that maybe I'm not as spiritual uh, as you think I am. Or when we get together in corporate prayer settings, it's like, well, what are they going to think about me? Can I just help you with that? Who cares what they think about you? You're not talking to them anyway. When you go out to a coffee shop or you go out to dinner or lunch and you are sitting there, let's say Pastor Ryan and I are out at a coffee shop and we're having a conversation. Do I care what the person at the table next to me thinks? Most of the time I'm not even paying attention to them. So why is it? I have something that a far lesser degree we can blow off, but on a far greater scale, I'm talking to the God of the universe, but I'm concerned about someone else? That's foolish. That's just foolishness right there. Dysfunctional prayer is praying to prove my spirituality or attempting to hide my lack of spirituality, both of which is ridiculous. Number five, I pray without thought or consideration. Right? And final example of dysfunctional prayer, I pray without thought or consideration. This is uh, typically, although not confined to, uh, what you and I do before meals. Throw a few words up. Just rolling through the obligatory ritual on our way to feeding ourselves. Now, let me just ask you, do you want someone else offering you mindless and empty words? I'm guessing not. So why would we think that God would somehow be pleased with us giving us or giving him mindless and empty words? Maybe think of it like this. Imagine uh, you were to walk into the kitchen and your child was maybe sitting at the counter or the table or whatever, and, and they were to say to you, Mom, Dad, I just want you to know that I love you. They're like, whoa, an unsolicited I love you from our kids, that's awesome. But when you looked at your child, they're scrolling through their phone, right? Not really paying attention. They're not interacting with you. It's just this mindless thought. Now, you might be saying, hey, no, no, Mike, you don't understand. That, that, that's still pretty great that they would say that. But then you hear their sibling ask them, hey, why did you tell them that? And they're like, oh, because I have to. You'd no longer be impressed, would you? In fact, if anything, you'd be like, man, I wish you just wouldn't have said anything at all. And yet, how often is that the attitude around our thoughtless and mindless prayer? Well, it's because I have to, so I'm just saying what you want to hear. Loved ones, if we wouldn't want it, why would we think God would want it? God doesn't want our shallow or our empty prayer. God doesn't want our dysfunctional prayer. So what is the prayer that God wants? Oh, praise God for verses 9 through 13. Here's the prayer that God wants. Here's the prayer that's pleasing both to Christ and to us. And it's a prayer uh, that will pray as Jesus prayed. A pleasing prayer is going to pray in the manner, in the way that Jesus prays. And so starting in verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this. And what he's saying to the disciples here is he's saying, along these lines, in this manner, this is how I want you to pray. And, and it's not that we just repeat this prayer, right? This isn't some ritual. We don't want to do the very thing that Jesus just cautioned us against where we're just mindless 
mindlessly repeating this. It's meant to be a template to help us understand how we come to the Lord in prayer. And as we look at the prayer itself, it's very simple. Uh, And there's really two primary focuses that we see. Uh, The first is God and His glory in verse 9 and 10. And then the second half of the prayer is focused on us and our needs in verses 11 through 13. Now, you could break this down a number of different ways, but this is the most simplistic way of seeing this. Here's what I think is so interesting about this prayer, is how many things are not referenced, not mentioned, or or, or not explained in the Lord's Prayer. For example, there's nothing around confession of sin. There's nothing around intercession. There's nothing about thanksgiving. Uh, Further, Jesus doesn't tell us where to pray. He doesn't tell us what time to pray. He doesn't tell us any kind of postures we should have when we pray, and a host of other things. Why? Why? Why why, why does he not tell us so many things? Here, and don't miss this, that the fundamental element of prayer is worship followed by petition. That's what Jesus is showing us here, that the fundamental element of prayer starts, begins with, is rooted in a worship of God, and then that is followed by a petitioning of God. Prayer is meant to be a way of life, right? It's not something we do in the morning or in the evening or before a meal. It's not some ritual that we have to do. It's a privilege of the highest regard to commune and to fellowship and to worship God. So God help us that we would pray then like this. And we're going to spend the rest of our time just walking through each of these petitions that Jesus puts forward. Right, these various aspects of pleasing prayer. So let's start with this first one in verse 9. That we pray in worship and reverence to our Father. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray in worship and reference to our Father. Now, a couple of notes I want to make. We've already made one of these or hinted at this. But first of all, that word our, it's plural. And every pronoun you see in the Lord's Prayer is plural. And this really cuts against so much of the individualistic sense, the private sense that we have with respect to spirituality and worship and prayer. Jesus assumes, don't miss this, church, Jesus assumes we pray together. He's just assuming that in this. He's he's encouraging and exhorting us towards that in this. Now, yes, we should also be praying in private, but we most definitely should be people who are praying together, which is why as a church, we're committed to getting together every month to pray together this Wednesday. Corporate prayer right here in this room. Now, there's a host of other ways that we want to be praying together, uh, sometimes physically together, other times in, in various spaces. But corporate prayer, once a month, this notion of being able to pray together. I could say all kinds of things. I'll let the Word and what it wants to do uh, drive down uh, how you need to respond to that. So we see this word R, but I want to look at this next word for a moment as well. Father. Our Father. I think we take that term for granted, right? We take this for granted. Consider, church, why is it that you and I get to call God Father? Why do we get to call Him Father, right? Yeah, He's our Father in His creation of us, but He is also Father because of His redemption and adoption of us, right? That the Father has drawn us into His family, He has taken people that are not his people, that's what Hosea says, and makes them my people. 
That's the beauty of adoption. Yesterday we celebrated Eliana's third birthday. There is nothing genetically that connects her to the other six McDonald's in our home. That girl is as McDonald as any McDonald as you'll ever meet, right? She's one of us. Why? Because she's been drawn into and is a part of our family and forever will be a part of our family. This is what God does for us. And it's why we get to call him father. And it reminds us of the beautiful relationship that exists between God and us. God's not some force. God's not some distant being. He is a loving, present, intimate Father. And prayer is a pursuit of that person. Did you hear me? Right? We're pursuing the person of God in prayer. In fact, I would argue it this way, that prayer is the primary means that I enjoy my Heavenly Father. Prayer is the primary means by which I enjoy my Heavenly Father. Do you, do you have someone in your life, whether it be a, a, maybe a, a sibling or a, a family member? Um, I hope your spouse would be one of these people, but, one, but someone that if, whenever you're given the chance to be with them, you are taking it. Right? You don't have to be coaxed into it. You don't have to be convinced that you should spend time with this person. I mean, I, there's a few people in my life that you would never have to ask me twice. If given the opportunity, it's like, man, I'm in. I am doing that. Now, compare that person to the Lord. I don't know who that person is, but I can definitively tell you that person is lame in comparison to the Lord, right? Because we're all lame in comparison to the Lord. So why is it, why is it that we don't take that same posture with our great and gracious Heavenly Father? Right? Doesn't that seem a little bit backwards? It just seems backwards. And yet God is our Father. One other note on fathers here while we're talking about fathers, because I think this is important here. Uh, loved ones, don't conflate the shortcomings of your earthly father with the character and the nature of your heavenly father. You tracking with me on this? God is not your earthly dad, and your earthly dad is not God. One of the greatest fears and anxieties in my life are the ways that I fail to represent God the Father to my kids. And so praise God, right? Praise God that he's not like us as fathers or our fathers. He is distinct from that. Now, Dad, that's not an excuse for you to be lame at your job. No, you need to do a good job. Uh, but we praise God that at the end of the day, he's just not us. So what is it that we do with this father? Let's get into this. We pray and worship and reverence to our father. And that's what Jesus tells us. We're to hallow his name. Now, hallow, that's not a word that we use often in modern vernacular. Anyone drop that in some comment this week? Didn't think so, right? Like That's just not something like, oh yeah, I was at the store hallowing this. No, we don't use that word. Okay, so what, what does it mean? It means to honor, to revere, to worship. And then we're told to hallow the name of God. Now, the name in our day and age, it's a title or a designation that helps us to distinguish between one another. It's why you call me Mike versus Andrew or Ryan or Wayne. Like, we know we're talking about different people. But in Jesus' day, the name represented the totality of who the person was. So wrapped up in the name was the character and the nature and the being of that individual. So when it says, hallowed be the name of God, we are worshiping the totality of who God is. So when we pray, listen carefully, when we pray, we are seeking the face of God before we're ever seeking the hand of God. We're seeking the person of God before I'm ever seeking the provision of God. 
And if all you ever did in your prayer was worship God, question, have you lost anything? No way. In fact, you could probably argue that you've gained everything. And so our prayer should be characterized by worship. But far too often, our approach to uh, our, our, our prayer life is similar to how we would approach a vending machine. I put something in, and then I expect something to get spit back out. Right? So prayer, I put in some words. Now, God, I expect you to do something. No, 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 no. Listen, you and I are approaching the one that is worthy of incessant praise. And so God, help us that we would be people who would worship the Lord. One of the greatest gifts that God gives to us is the ability to worship him. And so here, here's what we're going to do. As we move through each of these things, we're going to just take a moment to be able to practice. We're just going to practice right here, not, not long on each of these, but I'm going to give you a little time and space. And so you can lean over to the person sitting next to you, or if you want to be silent, you can be silent. Uh, that's fine. Um, and if you're sitting by yourself, you don't have to be silent. You can pray out loud. That's okay. Okay, but we're just going to practice this. God, I worship you because you are or because you have. Or if you want to use biblical language, God, I hallow you because you are or because you have. You understand? I just, just begin to do it. Why is it that you would worship God? What, what is it about him that is worthy of worship? What has he done that you would ascribe praise to him? God, we worship you because you're holy, because you're righteous, because you're fair, because you're just, because you're compassionate, because you're good, because you're gracious, right? And on and on we go, and hopefully you're even a little bit frustrated, like, Mike, stop talking, I'm not done, right? And then you just, more and more and more that starts to well up inside of us. Loved ones, this should be, this is the starting point of prayer. And, and practically speaking, when we understand that prayer is, is really just a form of worship, it serves to bring confidence and clarity uh, and help when we get to the asking and the petitioning. Because I'm reminded of God's power. I'm reminded of God's sovereignty. I'm reminded of how he's moved and worked in the past. I'm reminded of his care and provision. And, and so it shapes, it reshapes how I think about what it is that I'm doing and what it is that God's doing. In fact, sometimes we just start worshiping God. It eliminates the need. Just problem solved. Person, character, nature, being of God, just resolve that. Other times, it doesn't make the problem go away, but it completely reorients us to how we're thinking and looking at it. We pray and worship and reverence to the Father. Secondly, look at verse 10. And in verse 10, there's actually two distinct items that Jesus is petitioning here, uh, but both of them are, are, are quite similar. So I just put them into one uh, item here uh, that we pray in response. So in response to the worship of God, we're responding to that by surrendering to our King. Jesus says, here's what we're praying, your kingdom come to Him, to God, your will be done and how is the kingdom coming and how is the will being done? Well, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it gets done perfectly in heaven. So we're praying that it would look similar here on earth, that we, we are praying in response of surrender to our king. Now, part of what we instantly get into as we look at this is we begin to realize there's this uh, already not yet tension that's in play. In fact, Hebrews 2, I think, articulates this really, really well. It says this, at present... 
we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, right? Not, not, not all things are in total and complete subjection to Christ. But the author of Hebrews goes on and says this, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. And so there's this tension that we live in, that it's already true that Jesus is the king, but not everyone and everything is in complete subjection and submission to him. And so it's not yet fully realized, but it's moving toward that. And so in response to the worship of God, we're praying from this place of of submission, this posture of submission and surrender to God our King. We're saying we're submitting to your rule and we want what you want to get done to be what actually gets done. Now question, let's just be honest and don't be honest for the person sitting next to you, just be honest for yourself, okay? Is this how I tend to pray? Where I'm concerned primarily about the kingdom of God and the will of God being accomplished. Or if I'm honest, am I maybe a little bit more inclined to maybe suggest to God or tell God what we think he should or shouldn't be doing? And if you need an example, just think about a recent situation in your life, whether it be a health issue, whether it be a financial struggle, whether it be some kind of relational issue. How is it that you and I tend to pray about those things? We ask God for healing, we ask God for provision. We ask God for resolution. Now, none of those things are wrong or bad. In fact, they're good, but they're incomplete, right? It lacks a sense of God's rule over our life. It lacks a sense of God's purposes over our life. It lacks a sense of God's will over us. It's, again, this vending machine mentality. I put in a prayer, you pop out a solution. But what if... God isn't primarily interested in just making everything in our life easy. What if God's purpose is our sanctification, and that's only going to come through hardship and loss, not comfort and ease? What if God's will is to withhold our health so that we would instead hold to Him instead of something else in this world? What if God is allowing, allowing this lingering conflict so that we would better understand and appreciate how Jesus has reconciled us from sin and restored us relationally to God? What if God's not interested in being a cosmic vending machine, dispensing things that we want, but he's more concerned about being the sovereign savior that's conforming us to his image? What if that's God's purpose? What if that's God's will? What if that's the fulfillment of God's kingdom? And are we praying to that end? Further, as we think about this, let me just ask you this. How often do we truly ask God what it is that he wants instead of coming to him after we've made a decision, just letting him, giving him the opportunity to bless what we've decided. You know what I'm talking about, right? I've decided to take this job. I've decided to spend my money this way. I've decided to go to this school. Uh, I've decided about this move. Uh, Here's how I'm going to spend my time. And so God, if you could just uh, put your blessing on this, if you could just sprinkle a little bit of that divine Jesus dust, that would be fantastic. That's not praying for the kingdom and the will of God. That's praying for the kingdom of self. See, we would do well to embrace what Samuel uh, teaches us in 1 Samuel 3 when he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. More talking from God, more listening from you and I. Okay, so how, how would I even be able to begin to do that? You pray the Bible. You pray what God has already given us. 
The primary means that God has spoken to us. We just start praying the scriptures. That gives God the primary voice and you and I are listening to what it is that God is saying instead of us telling God, hey, here's what we want you to do. See, when the kingdom is pursued, we're asking God to bring to completion what it is that he wants to accomplish, but we are also yielding ourselves to the king. Hey, you're in charge. I'm not. What do you want? Because I am a subject willing to do whatever it is that you call me to. So let's, let's practice this, okay? Again, same thing. Uh, here's the prompt, and, and you don't even have to use the prompt. It's just meant to be helpful. Because you are king, I'm going to release, I'm going to surrender, I'm going to yield blank. Go ahead. Go to the Lord. Because you're king, I'm going to release this. I'm going to surrender this. I'm going to yield this. Maybe you need to ask God what he would want, not what you want to do. Maybe there's something that needs to get backtracked on. God, is this your kingdom and is this your will? We pray in response of surrender to our king. Oh, God, help us. That's how we, that, that would be how we would pray. All right, moving on. Verse 11, 12, and 13, now focusing on us and our needs. And so let's get into these here for just a moment. First of all, verse 11, that we pray asking God for our daily bread, right? He says this in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, now daily bread is meant to evoke uh, the imagery of manna. And people will often ask, well, is that, is that like a, a spiritual thing or is that more like a physical thing? And the answer is yes. It's, it's both, all right? Uh, but, but this right here, I think what we're at right here is the issue for so many American Christians because, loved ones, this is where you and I tend to start when it comes to our prayer life. And I think we can agree on the heels of what we've seen in verses 9 and 10, how that reshapes, how that reorients, how that refocuses, how it is that we go before the Lord, right? I'm worshiping and I'm surrendering and I'm yielding. So by the time I'm even getting to where I'm asking God about things, God's already given me a different lens and perspective by which to see a lot of those things. But this right here, because I start with God give me instead of God you are, this is why for so many of us, prayer feels so cold, so distant, so impersonal. Because listen to me, it is. It is cold. It is distant. It is impersonal. And we've made it that way. Because we divorced the petition from the relationship. We're the ones that have said, I'm not really interested in the face, just want the hand. Don't necessarily need the person, just want the provision. So of course there's a relational disconnect here. We've removed it from the context of relationship. Think of it like this. Imagine you had an acquaintance come to you and, and they, they, they had a large request. Hey, I need to borrow a, a, a large sum of money. I need your help for multiple days. I need you to give up a significant amount of your time. Now imagine 
In that same scenario, you have someone that you dearly love, a son or a daughter, a mother or a father, a sibling, a close friend, and they come and they ask you for the exact same thing, the exact same amount of money, the exact same amount of time, whatever it is. It's the exact same request, but you and I won't think about it the same, will we? Because, because it's seen through the context and the lens of the relationship. The relationship influences and gives perspective on how we look at this. And it's no different with the Lord. See, Jesus is saying here that, that we're, we are to make petitions of God, but they're to come uh, in, rooted in a relationship, right? In this worship, in this surrender, in this abiding. It's a deeply relational dynamic. The asking isn't wrong. In fact, the asking is right but it comes within the context and the confines of communion and relationship with the Lord. And so as we look at this, make note also of this, that when we come to the Lord asking, we are declaring to God that we are needy, right? Prayer is my declaration that I have a need and I am incapable or unable to meet said need. And coming to a place where you realize your own inadequacy, you are confronted with your insufficiency, is one of the greatest gifts that God can give to you because it drives you right back to Him. See, how, how, do, we, how do we tend to treat hardship or difficulty or uh, insufficiency or inadequacy? It, it, it's something that we tend to avoid. Yet, let me ask you this. When does your prayer life tend to be strongest? When your life is the hardest, when you're most desperate. And so what happens is in that moment, confronted with our neediness, we're, we're pushed back to this place of trusting in Jesus. And so now I'm holding fast to Him, depending on Him, trusting in Him. And so what reveals the inadequacy is actually a gift, not a curse. Spurgeon said it so well when he said this. He says, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. See, loved ones, you and I would do well to see items in our life and the value that we place on them for how they drive us to the Lord or how they push us away from the Lord. See, it's often what you and I like or prefer, things like recreation or entertainment or prosperity that actually push us from God, and it's what we wouldn't choose, right? Struggle, hardship, and lack that will push us toward God. And so when we think about daily bread, <laughs> you got to understand, most people in Jesus' day, they had zero financial margin. So if you didn't work today, you didn't eat tomorrow. Now, you and I don't, we're not as confronted or as keenly aware, at least not typically, um, of that physical reality. But, but that, that's, that, that element, that daily need is true for all of us spiritually. So just because you and I have weekly bread or monthly bread, or some of you are like, I could live for four years if I didn't go to the store for the next four years. Great, okay? You're, you're inoculated to this truth, and most of us are but we can't be inoculated to it spiritually. And so let's just practice this. Asking God for our daily bread. God, would you provide? God, would you grant? God, would you allow? God, would you enable? Blank. Just take a moment and go to the Lord. And in the context of relationship, ask Him to meet your needs. Go ahead.
What is it that you're lacking that you need God to supply? What is it that's absent that you so desperately need for him to give to you? We pray asking God for our daily bread. Number four, look at verse 12. Jesus goes on, he says this. He says, and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And we see here that we pray asking God for forgiveness. And really a two-part element to this, uh, both that we're asking for forgiveness, uh, but also that we're indirectly asking God for help in forgiving others. In fact, it's interesting uh, that our forgiveness of others is assumed in the back half of verse 12. And we'll come back to that here in a moment. Uh, But first of all, just make note of this, that we're praying, uh, asking God uh, for forgiveness. And this is needed because none of us at any point in our life is going to reach sinless perfection. You were born a sinner and you're going to die a sinner. And every moment in between that, you could be characterized as a sinner. Now, praise God that he rescues us from our sin. Amen? Right? This is the gospel hope that we have, that our sin, which separates us and what alienates us from God, is forgiven in Christ's death in our place. This is the once and for all justification that came for us at the moment of salvation. But because you and I continue to sin, we continue to need God to forgive us and for his grace to be extended to us. So we confess our sin and we seek God's forgiveness. Now this isn't license to sin. This isn't uh, in any way, shape, or form how you and I can abuse God's mercy in this. It's just the reality that we're going to sin and need to be forgiven by God. And so the regular practice of confession and repentance is how we ask for forgiveness. Now I always chuckle, people will say, well, how often should I confess? How often do you need the Lord's forgiveness? Like, I I don't know what else to tell you. That's, That's the only thing I've got for you. We pray asking God for forgiveness. Let's take a moment to practice this. It's really quite simple. God, I confess my sin in blank. And God, I'm asking for your forgiveness for blank. Just take a moment to confess your sin. Go ahead. Ask the Lord to reveal if there be any wicked way in you. And maybe you know immediately that you would confess and seek God's forgiveness. Oh, and praise God, He forgives. That you would acknowledge. and surrender it to the Lord. We pray asking God for forgiveness. Let me just have you note here, loved ones, the back half of verse 12 is a very simple yet sobering reality. And before I lean into it, let me, let me read also, well, let me read verse 12, and then I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 as well. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors, And then in verse 14, Jesus says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That sounds great. What about verse 15? But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Whoa. Wait, did we read that? Nope, yep, we read it right. That's what it says. See, what Jesus is telling us is that our willingness to forgive is a marker and evidence of a transformed heart. 
See, what Jesus is saying is that the true believer understands the magnitude of what we've been forgiven in Christ, so we then extend that same forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. The Puritan Thomas Manton said it like this. He says, There is none so tender to others as they which have received mercy themselves, for they know how gently God has dealt with them. And of course, by implication, how gently we should be dealing with those who have sinned against us. We pray asking God for forgiveness. Finally, this, verse 13. Uh, we pray asking God to make us ready. Now, the, the, these other two items in verse 11 and 12, they were present and past tense. This one here is future tense. Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is looking forward. We're asking God to preserve us from temptation. We're asking God to preserve us from evil, that God is leading us out of destruction and into his desire and into his plan. So let's just practice this here real quick. God, would you lead me in? God, would you deliver me from? Go ahead. What is it that you need God to lead you into? And what is it that you need God to lead you out of? Where do you need to be, where do you need to be delivered? What evil do you need Jesus to intervene on your behalf for? We pray asking God to make us ready. Oh, God, help us that all of this would be true of us. And as we close, I want to do so just by uh, having us consider, uh, ponder, reflect here for just a moment, a few questions that we just, we just let the Spirit do work within each of us, right? And just trust that the Spirit's doing uh, what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. We're not worry about the person sitting next to us or in front of us or behind us. We're worried about what God's speaking to us. So a few questions here as we close. Uh, first of all this, what changes are needed in how you approach the Lord in prayer? And just what needs to change? What's out of alignment? Where's there maybe a misplaced emphasis or focus? Is there something that's lacking or absent? Just what needs to change? Number two, will you pray as a form of worship, not simply request? Will you seek his face before you ever seek his hand? Will you seek his person before you ever seek his provision. Honestly, loved ones, if you get nothing else, if you get nothing else, God help us that we would understand prayer as a form of worship. And will you be satisfied in him irrespective of what he does or doesn't do? Number three, are there dysfunctional elements of prayer in your prayer life that you need to address? As we talked about early on, the different things that Jesus got into. Are we seeking approval from others? Are we attempting to manipulate God in our prayer? Are we only praying in a pinch? Or uh, is there this thoughtless, mindless sense of prayer going on in us? What, what is it? They're just dysfunctional elements that God needs to address. And finally this. And this will feel like a little bit of a shift, but I think on the heels of verse 12, this is crucial. Are you hindered from seeking forgiveness because you have yet to extend forgiveness to anyone on anything? Is that there's some roadblock? Is there some boulder on the pathway that's hindering you from moving forward because you're withholding forgiveness to someone else? I'll just tell you right now, this will absolutely torpedo a prayer life. 
Is there any unforgiveness in you that you must address? Any bitterness, any malice, any hatred, any disdain, any spite, any resentment, any of that that you're holding on to? Prayer is our pursuit of communing with God and worship to Him and petition of Him. It is a remarkable privilege and an incredible opportunity, and we would do well to take advantage of it. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and good Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this gift right here, for the gift of prayer, for the freedom that we find in you. God, for the ability to come uh, to you in worship, in submission, in surrender, our great and glorious God, that you don't hold us uh, at bay, that you don't keep us at arm's length, but as a loving Father, you call us in, you draw us in and enable us to make much of you. So Father, we pray you'd help us. God, help us. Help us as we pray. Help us to think rightly about prayer. God, help us to see it as something that is pleasing to you and pleasing for us, that there is opportunity and delight and joy and satisfaction in this. Not some cold, dead, lifeless ritual. Not some obligatory thing that I've got to slog my way through. Oh, but the riches and the joy of getting to come to you, to pursue you, and to worship you. The fullness and the fruit that comes from that. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. God, help us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Please stand. Let's worship our God as we close the service. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father. fellowshipping with the sovereign God of the universe. Only a fool passes on that.
Only a fool passes on that. I don't say that to guilt you. I don't say that in any sense of what's wrong with you. I'm just saying, church, wake up. We've got to wake up. We're passing on one of the greatest privileges ever afforded to us for what? Netflix? Or a game? Or a book? Oh, God help us. God help us that we would be people of prayer. Let me pray for us. God, we pray. And God, we pray in the, in the, in the, the freedom and the grace that you offer to us. God, we do pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for ways that we choose trivial things over you. Forgive us for ways that we choose entertainment or recreation in spite of our great and glorious God. And God, you've given us those good things to enjoy, and it's not that they're wrong, but the constant pursuit of them over you is. So I pray, God, I just pray you would cause us to be a praying people, that, and, and that the motivation for that would be just the incredible satisfaction and delight that we find in you, that it actually would be entertaining and recreational, um, if, if I could say that without it being on, on the, the, the verge of sounding blasphemous and yet to pray, what, what would be more enjoyable? What would be more satisfying? What would be more entertaining than that? So we just pray you'd make that true of us. Not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, but out of joy and opportunity. And so we pray you'd grow us and send us out as men and women who are praying people because we see the greatness of our God, we see the greatness of our need, and that you and you alone remedy those needs that we have. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great kindness towards us, and that you would send us out now for your name's sake. We pray this in the matchless name, in the holy name, in the righteous name, in the name that's above all other names, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Faith Church, you are loved and you are sent. Have a great week.